Well, I'm excited to begin a brand new series with you today. Over the next 21 days, as we move into the season of prayer, we're going to be talking about how can we get closer to God. And, and this is going to be a series on worship. Before we jump into the message, I've got a couple exciting updates and ex- exciting things to share with you. First off, I want to give you a financial update. One of the things we like to do as a church is be very transparent about the finances. That's why we do an annual audit every year. We don't have to do it. It's something we choose to do. We put it right on our website uh, for anybody to review our audit. It. And I was doing the numbers the other day, and I just came across something that I really didn't see until I put it all together. But God's really done a miracle in our church over the last 12 months, and I just want to share it with you. Now, what I'm about to share is above our expense budget. Our expense budget over the last 12 months was probably close to $1.4 million, and that's, that's what we spent on expenses. This is over and above our expense budget. I want to share this with you today. First off, 12 months ago, our loan, our mortgage on our property was right around $2.976 million. One of the things I realized over the last 12 months, we refinanced about a year ago, uh, which has saved us over 3% in interest and close to $100,000 a year in interest payments. But we've also, over the last 12 months, paid down our debt by $594,000. To give us a new balance of $2.382 million. And this came out of one person who is part of our legacy dream team. That's our dream team of people, the spiritual gift of giving. Uh, God spoke to him the other day to write a $100,000 check just to pay down debt in our church, which is incredible. Uh, The other part of that came from just good stewardship and good budgeting. For those of you that don't know, one of the things we do as a church is we budget every year at 90% previous year income. In other words, we set our expense budget on much less than we expect to receive. We spend less than, than, than our budget, and then we use the difference or the excess to advance the mission of the church so we don't have to do capital campaigns or fundraising or ask for money. This simply came out of just stewarding the, the excess we had monthly, just paying down the debt, trying to be good stewards, refinancing uh, so that we could be in a healthier position as a church. Our vision for Mexico, in the last 12 months, we've received $321,000 for our vision for Mexico. Now, we've got some good news coming. We've identified a property that we're narrowing it down for the vision God has given us in Mexico. It's a beautiful property. It's a, it's a couple-story building. There's one floor designed perfectly for an orphanage for all of our children. It's got bathrooms and showers and everything we need. It's got the bottom floor is, a, is kind of a workout, like a 24-hour fitness. It has a stage and a sound system. All the gym equipment are going to clear out and we can build a church. So we'll have coastline Baja or coastline Mexico. So you'll have a a campus kind of in the Baja area to choose on Sunday or Carlsbad. And out of that 300 and... So out of that $321,000, only $97,000 came out of our love offering uh, that happens every December, our legacy offering that we did for Mexico. So the other, the other part of that came simply from people on the legacy dream team. We have one young couple in the church who God put it on their heart to write a check for $125,000 and gave it to us a few weeks ago for the home. And so we have exciting things happening there. Campus renovations. In the last 12 months, we've spent $405,000 renovating this campus, primarily the worship center, the cafe, and the family center. We've done some renovations over there for the children. And again, this, this, just, this comes out of just 
being good stewards, budgeting wisely so that we never put, put ourselves in a position where we have to ask you for money. I'd rather let God know what our needs are, let God speak to you, and you can choose whether to obey or not. And again, this is, this is happening. We had a, a family just two weeks ago came to me and they were asking me about this part of the building. See this little, this little corner section and knocking that out so we can make this room a rectangle and expand the seating to 350 seats so we've got more seats to reach people in this community with. And they came to me, and I thought it was $20,000. So I said, it's $20,000. They said, well, God told us to pay for it, so we'll do it. And I talked to the builders, and they said, it's not $20,000. It's 130000 to do that. And so I went back to the family. I said, listen, I got it way wrong. You could have never prayed about this. You're off the hook. You're free. You know, just go on. They said, well, can we at least pay for you know, the architect fees and the plans and the city permits and things like that? I said, well, you, you, do whatever, you do whatever God tells you to do. It's like, I'm not asking you to do anything. You just do what God tells you to do. He came back a couple weeks ago, and he came up to me at the end of service, and he gave me a check for $130,000 and said, God told us to do the whole thing. We want to see more people reached for Jesus. And again, this is just people on the Legacy Dream Team just listening to God and, and doing what God is speaking to them because, as you know, we don't ask. And so a grand total over the last 12 months is, is we've had over our expense budget $1.45 million come through either through good stewarding and, and, and just running our budget wisely. About half a million of that came out of our Legacy Dream Team and then 97000 came out of an offering. So I just wanted to give you an update on what God has been doing around here It is just a miracle. It is all to his glory. We're not smart enough to figure something like that out. That's all God. For those of you that are interested in the Legacy Dream Team, we have our next breakfast, August 22nd. What is the Legacy Dream Team? That's a dream team for people who really have identified themselves with the spiritual gift of giving. When you study Paul's writing, he talks about gifts of faith, gifts of service. One of the spiritual gifts in the Bible is giving. People who like to write checks to advance the kingdom of God. And we have men and women in our church who they just dream finance and they dream business deals. And they just, God designed them and hardwired them to make money. And they don't want to do it just for them and their family. They want to do it to advance the kingdom. And we have a whole team of those people in our church called the Legacy Dream Team. And they just get together and they encourage each other in the gift of giving and talk about what they can do to advance the kingdom. So the next breakfast is August 22nd at 7.30 a.m., and if you want information or you want to RSVP, if you're, if you're trying to figure out, maybe that's me, come in here. They'll talk about it, and they'll help you figure out if that's you or not. But it's legacy at coastlinechurch.org. Right now, we're moving into a season of 21 days. One of my jobs as a pastor is to be a tour guide. And this verse was in our one-year Bible a couple days ago, and it just really struck me. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. It's hard to keep your spiritual fervor at times. So what we've done as a church is we've designed seasons to help you do that. And we're moving into that season today. Today begins 21 days of prayer that we do every August. And then we have 21 days of prayer every January. Why August? Why January? Well, during the summer, we get on vacation mode. And sometimes we get on vacation mode spiritually. We don't pray the way we should. We don't seek God the way we should. We kind of get into vacation mentality. And so every August, we have a specific season as a church where we want to re-engage the things of God in our life. We, we want to get passionate about what's most important and really put him first. So Monday to Friday, uh, for the next 21 days, we will be here in this building at 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. There's 60-minute prayer meetings on the dot. If you can only come for five minutes on the way to work, come for five minutes on the way to work. 
It's a powerful prayer meeting. And, and again, for those of you that are scared of prayer, I know some guys are scared of prayer because they imagine a, you know, a room, everyone's holding hands and circled up and you know, squeezing the neighbor. It's their turn to pray. No, we, don't, we don't hold hands at our prayer meetings. One of the commitments I've made to you as your pastor is I will never ask you as a man to hold hands with another man. I grew up in a church where the pastor was always saying, grab hands with the person sitting next to you. And I was always, no, I don't want to hold his hand. I don't, you know, it's just not me. So we don't hold hands at our prayer meetings. Um, if you're with your wife, you can hold her hand, but that's, that's it. Uh, we don't hold hands. We just pray. And so there's loud music, there, there's low lighting, and, and for the most of the time, you just pray on your own and seek God in a room full of people seeking God on their own. We've got these beautiful prayer journals, over 500. We're going to be given away throughout the 21 days at prayer. There's, there's prayer guides in here, journaling in here. I want to encourage you to come tomorrow morning, pick up one of these, begin this journey with us. We've got our Pray First bracelets to remind you all year that in everything, prayer is not our last resort, it's our first response. And so I want you to join us for this 21 days, even if you can't be here, make it a point to, to set a time every day to pray with us. And there's a couple things we're praying for. One of the things is I really feel like this fall, God has told me as the pastor that, that one of his priorities in our church is that we go deeper spiritually. Like this is a season of going deeper spiritually, becoming people of prayer, becoming people of the word, becoming people of worship. It's why we're doing a series on worship right now couple other prayer items is we're going through a name change this fall with our small groups. So that the word small, we've surveyed, and, and, and it just it doesn't, it doesn't capture what small groups are. And so we're doing a name change to connect groups because the goal is connection. It's not just, you know, to get a small group. Of, it, it's connecting people together. And so we're going through a name change. So I ask you to pray with me because sometimes name changes are tough. Any type of change is tough for people because it creates confusion. It creates mis- understanding. So one of the things we want to pray about is when we launch connect groups this fall, that we want to pray during these 21 days that our church will embrace it and capture it, and and there'll be as little as confusion as possible. And we're passionate about this being a great semester. I'm actually teaching uh, the Connect Group training tonight. And so if you're interested in being a women's Connect Group leader, a men's Connect Group leader, a marriage Connect Group leader, free market, what's free market? That's what you love to do. We've got this fall, people talked about doing a Monday night football connect group and a surfing connect group and uh, an outreach connect group. There, there are a lot of different types of connect group because, again, the goal of connect groups isn't information. It's relationship. Information won't change your life. Doing another Bible study is not going to change your life. Connecting relationally with healthy people, that'll change your life. And so that's what we're going to be pursuing this fall is our Connect group. So, so if you'd like to join me tonight for training, we'll teach you how to do it. It's the easiest thing in the world because here's the job requirement for a connect group leader. Take people one step closer to Jesus. That's it. The goal of a connect group leader is not to help people go 10 steps or five steps. It's just to help everyone in your group take one step closer to Jesus. And I think every single one of us are qualified to do that. Every one of us are qualified to help people take one step closer to Jesus. Well, let's jump into the message today. Thanks for allowing me to get through some of that stuff with you. Uh, We're in this series on worship called Closer. How do we get closer to God? And I want to start with this phrase. We all worship something. Every single one of us worship something because we were created by God as human beings for worship. There is something that's getting your attention. 
Something that's getting your focus, something that gets your, your love and your adoration, because we as human beings were created to worship. We will always default to worshiping something. You are worshiping something right now. The question is, what is it? And here's the best definition for worship. Worship is our response to what we value most. Worship is simply how we respond to the thing that's most important to us. How do we live our life? How do we, what do we value most and how do we respond and order our life around that thing? And everyone here has something in your life that is really, really important to you. It may be you and the way you look. It could be golf. It could be surfing. It could be any number of things that we value, but there's something in your life that you dream about. There's something that you think about more than, than, than anything else. You adore it. You love it. You put a lot of time and energy into that thing. That is what you worship. It's what you worship. And, and let me be absolutely clear. I don't want you to hear today what I'm not saying. God has no issue with you having hobbies. God, God has no problem at all with you going surfing or playing golf or going to the gym. God doesn't care about that at all. He just has a huge issue when you place that thing above him. God wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to have a good time. He just doesn't want you to take anything in your life and give it more attention than you give him. And here's the reason. Because we were created for worship, you will naturally worship something. God knows who he is. God, God understands that he is love and he is great and he is powerful. And God recognizes that when he is first in your life, you will benefit the most. And as your loving father, he wants you to be taken care of and he wants you to be blessed. And he wants, he wants to give you incredible things, but he can't do it if you're not first in his life. So he wants you to worship him, not just for his sake, because you're not going to make him any greater by telling him he's great. He is who he is. You, you, you can't change who he is through your worship. So worship is not just about him. It's also about you, and he gets that. So think about it right now. Think about your life choices. Think about your schedule. Think about your priorities. Think about how you spend your money and what you give your attention to, and ask yourself, is God at the top of your list? And the truth is, I think many of us have replaced God at the top of the list. Now, he's on your list. You wouldn't be here today if God wasn't on your list somewhere. Like, like the whole reason you're here today is because God factors somewhere on your list. But the question is, is he at the top of your list or have you replaced it with something else? And that's how we know what we worship the most. And the Bible addresses this. The Bible says that there would be a generation in the end times. And I feel like we are that generation. In fact, in a couple of weeks, when we do the You Ask For It series, one of the things you as a church asked for during our Easter survey is talk about the end times. Are we in the end times? And I'm going to do a whole message on the end times in a couple of weeks from now. And the Bible says there, there is a generation that, that has replaced God, that what I call the not-so-great exchange. You know, you, you exchanged God from being first on your list and you kind of moved him down and you put something else at first and that thing that's first is not going to be able to bless you and benefit you like God being first in your life. Paul says it like this. Yes, they knew God. So I want to point out the fact that these aren't people outside of the church. These are people who knew God. 
These are people who had some form of relationship with God. These are people who attended church on, on somewhat of a regular basis. They, they have some form of relationship with God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. That's one of my pet peeves about living in North County is like constantly I hear people say, well, this is what I think about God. And this is what I think about God. Well, who am I to have an opinion about God when he told me very clearly who he was in his word? Like he described himself to a T in his word where I don't have to come up with my own idea of who he is. He told me who he is. I just need to read and find out who he really is. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. I think we live in a generation today that's confused. That's confused. We don't even know whether or not we're boys or girls anymore. I mean, we are a confused generation. And that's not a, a critical statement of judgment. That's just a reality of where our country is. And understand, my heart, my heart is broken for people who are confused because they're the ones living in inner turmoil. I'm not mad that they're changing America. I'm broken because they live in this pain on the inside. They, they got these this inner, inner demons that are just tearing them up on the inside because anytime you live outside of God's plan and purpose for your life, it hurts. It hurts. They became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping, here's that not-so-great exchange, instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people Birds, animals, and reptiles. See, we live in this culture where we know best. Well, how's it working out for you? Like we live in a generation today where we've got more eight-year-olds suffering with depression and anxiety than any other time in the history of the world. How's it working out, America? I mean, we know what's best. We don't need to do it God's way anymore. We're smarter. We've progressed from all of that. And yet we live in this culture where people are dark, they're confused, they're broken, they're hurting like never before in the history of our nation. Why? Because we worship something other than the ever-living, glorious God. We've made idols, idolatry. And before you think that's some you know, primitive culture, remember the video at the beginning? Like we literally have made idols out of like, like we, we look at, you know, National Geographic people who paint themselves up and dance around and go crazy. It's like that is just so foreign to us. And yet you go to a stadium on a Saturday in college football America and you see the exact same thing. We have created idol worship. So what's on the throne of your heart today? Here, let me give you five things that I think many of us have replaced God with. Like, like God was number one or, or could have been number one or maybe never been number one, but five things that many people, uh, including myself from time to time, have, have replaced God at the top of my list. The first one I call substitution. And we all have one of those. And you don't need to write down what your substitution is because your neighbor's looking at your paper right now and it doesn't you know, matter. But we all have one of these substitutions. You know, maybe it is golf. Maybe it's, you know, our health and, and, and fitness and the way we look. Maybe it's surfing. Maybe it's career. Maybe it's, it's money. And again, is God against any of those things? Absolutely not. He just doesn't want it, the substitution, to be replaced with where he's supposed to rank in your life. He doesn't care about you playing golf. He doesn't care about you surfing. He just doesn't want those things to become more important than him. And, 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 and let, me, let, me, let me go somewhere. I'm not supposed to go in North County. People warn me not to go here, and I'm going to go here anyways, and I know I'm at risk of offending a bunch of people right now. 
But I've lived here for five years, and I think I've got a good pulse on North County culture and what keeping up with the Joneses looks like here. Like you go to Orange County, keeping up with the Joneses is all about you know, what car you drive and what jeans you wear and what purse you carry. Here in North County, keeping up with the Joneses looks, looks very, very different than Orange County. Our keeping up with the Joneses is how many things can I sign my children up for? <laughs> like my kids got to go pro at something, and so they are going to do everything. And we have literally made children the idol of North County. Think about it. If worship is, is, is what, what you, you know, how you respond to the thing that you value most, what do most of our families do in North County? We sit down and we build our family schedule, our weekly schedule around our children. We don't build our weekly schedule around God. We build our weekly schedule around our children. We build our budget around our children. We build our time around our children. And, and don't hear what I'm not saying. The Bible is very, very clear. We are to love and care for and raise our children in a godly, caring, and loving way. But I'm telling you right now, if you ever put your children above God in your family, you are doing them the biggest disservice. Your children need to know God is first in your home, and they'll benefit out of that more than anything else. Because we've got families killing themselves right now because their children are taking priority over God, and they're running every which direction, and it's busy, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So I went there. Um, I hope you're okay with that. Look, you, you, all right, let's move on. Let's move on. If you read the book of Psalms, you have 150 chapters of people singing, clapping, dancing, shouting, going crazy for God. You know what's unfortunate is the book of Psalms looks more, look, more like our sporting stadiums today than it does our churches. Like you look at the way they worship God in the Bible, doesn't it look more like our Super Bowl events than it does our churches today? Here's what God has to say about it. You must not worship any of the gods of your neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. He's jealous for you. Why don't you shout for me that way? Why don't you show up four hours early for me? Why don't you, you, you sing for me that way? He is a jealous God. And again, he does not mind you cheering for your favorite sports team. He's got no issue at all with you loving your team and cheering for your team. He just doesn't want them to get more passion from you than he gets. He wants to be number one in your life. Sometimes we exchange worship for pride. We let pride get in the way of us worshiping God. You know, we, we, we come to a service like this and the music is going and, and then all of a sudden pride sits in and we think, you know, what does everyone else think about me right now? Everyone's looking at me. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be expressive to God. People are watching me. It's not for them. And, and I'm sensitive to this because I grew up Southern Baptist. I remember, you know, what it was like growing up in church. I mean, the, the typical worship pose was the groomsman pose. I mean, this was it. I mean, the whole song service, it was the groomsman pose. It, it, was, it was, you know, and I remember when somebody really got charismatic and wild, it was like this. I mean, it was like, you know, it was just, you know, one hand up. One hand up. And, and the reality is the Bible says, lift up holy hands to God. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You're not doing it for anyone else. Why are we so consumed with what everyone else thinks? When we're not doing it for them, we're doing it for him. Have you ever thought about it this way? Do you realize the music part of church, like when we do the songs at the beginning, 
that's the only part of the service where you're actually giving to God. See, the rest of the service, God's giving to you. Like the, the preaching, that's, that's God ministering to you. The worship is you giving God what he rightfully deserves. So when you show up late to worship, does that mean you're robbing God of what is rightfully his? See, are you catching this? And we don't want to be expressive. You know, I, I thought it was symbolic in the Bible. You know, you don't literally shout to God. You, you kind of shout in your heart. You don't, you don't do it out loud. It's amazing how we can become so conscious about what other people think and not at all concerned with what God thinks about it. And Jesus dealt with this. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it. I'm not going to raise my hands to God. People are looking at me. I don't want God to see me. They wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved or they were concerned with what people thought more than the praise of God. More than the praise of God. Here's the next one. Hedonism. Hedonism. We, 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 we've given hedonism top spot in our life. What does hedonism mean? It's simply defined by letting pleasure or happiness become the primary goal of your life. We, we say things like the pursuit of happiness. Life isn't about the pursuit of happiness. That's not the goal of life. And what happens in a hedonistic culture is we make the pursuit of happiness the goal. That is hedonism. If it feels good, do it. You don't have morals. You don't have convictions. You don't have principles that you live by. You have feelings that you live by. Don't judge me. This is how I feel. Can, can I just say that? That's not a good, good way to live your life. Your feelings cannot be trusted. Your feelings will get you into all sorts of trouble and all sorts of pain. You can't live your life based on feelings. And can I say, it's wonderful when we come to, like, when, when the worship and the music and Tim and the team are up here and the presence of God here. I love feeling the presence of God. But can I say, that's not why we do it. Like, the goal of our Sunday service isn't to give you a feeling, the goal of our Sunday service is to give God what he deserves, whether we feel like it or not. I, I don't sing because I feel like singing. I sing because I'm giving God what is rightfully his, what he deserves. And here's how hedonism plays out in the church. Well, I don't like this song. I'll just wait for the next song. Well, it's too loud for me today. Well, I, I don't like what the lights are doing. Well, you know, it, it doesn't matter if I'm on time or not. I mean, they're there for me. I'm not there for God. They're there for me. The band's there just to make me feel good and put on a show for me. When did, it's, it's not about you. It's about what God rightfully deserves. I love the way it says in Hebrews, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise. Why does it say sacrifice of praise? Because if you felt like doing it, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. There are times where I don't like the song, but I sing it. Why? Because it's a sacrifice of praise. It's not my preference. It's not the song I like. I don't do it because it feels good to me. I do it as a sacrifice of praise because it's not about me. It's about him. See, if you liked the song, it wouldn't be a sacrifice of praise. And yeah, there are times where I love the song and it's really easy. There are times in worship where it's not a sacrifice at all. I just love doing it because it's my style. It's my song. It's, it's what I want to hear. And then there are other times where it's not necessarily my style. It's not necessarily the song I like and it becomes a sacrifice of praise. And it's not just in church on Sunday morning. This is, this is through every area of your life. 
well, I don't worship that way. It's just not my personality. Yeah, well, maybe it's God's personality. Have you ever thought about it like that? I mean, maybe God has a love language. And in fact, when you study the Bible, you'll realize, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. God does have a love language. There are certain ways God likes to be loved. If you only love your spouse the way you like to be loved, your marriage isn't going to be great. You've got to learn their love language and do things that maybe aren't natural for you or comfortable for you because it's their love language. God has a love language, and we're going to look at that in a couple weeks. It's why the Bible says things like lift up holy hands. It says shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Here's a word that is completely made up for the sake of this message. Spectatorism spectatorism. This is the idea that because I showed up, I worshiped. Just being physically present here today doesn't mean you worship God. Because worship isn't a service. Again, it's the response to the thing that you value the most in your life. We don't want to be spectators. I heard somebody say that, that, that church today is like people watching football on television. You've got 10 million people who desperately need exercise watching 22 people who desperately need rest. (laughs) And that's the way a lot of churches look today. You've got all these people watching all these people who are wearing themselves out while everyone else is just sitting back as a spectator, enjoying the show, enjoying the service, and not being a part of it. I'm telling you, you want to get the most out of church, get involved in the dream team. Make this happen every week. You'll have a different experience of worship than you've ever had before. I mean, think about it in your marriage. If, if, if I told my wife, Amanda, I love you, but don't expect any hugs or kisses. Just know that in my heart, I love you. That's not going to work. And yet, how many of us do that to God? God, I love you, but don't expect me to raise my hands. God, I love you, but it's in my heart. Don't expect me to express it to you. Don't expect me to show it to you. Just know that in my heart, God, I love you. What I want to do is I want to lead you in a season. Here's a promise. Come close to God. Come close to God. This is what this 21 days is all about. And it says, here's the promise. God will come close to you. Let me ask you a question. If God came close to you this August, would your August be better? Yes or no? If God came close to you, without a doubt, your life would be better. Well, some of you are waiting for God to move, and God's waiting for you to move. It says you come close to God, and God will come close to you. God's already done everything he needed to do. In fact, God has loved you in a way that you would never be able to love him. God allowed his own son to die so that he could be close to you. Here's what it says. Let us... Let us, us, draw near to God. See, God's already close to us. God's God's right here waiting for us. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. That's what this 21 days is about. I know some people are like, well, I'm just not a morning person. We'll just be one for 21 days. I'm telling you, if you will come close to God, he will come close to you. And if God comes close to you, this month will be one of the greatest months of your life. Here's the last thing. I'm not going to spend long here. It's just tradition. So many of us have made traditions in place of God, like traditions about God taking the place of God. There, there are so many things that I have fallen in love with about our church that we don't even do anymore. And I love them and I prefer them, but they ran their season and I'm not going to allow a tradition to get in the way of what God is doing today. 
So let's not allow traditions to prevent us. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I, I, I like this about church and I like this about church. Listen, there are some core convictions that we will never change, but then there are a lot of things that are just traditions that, that you may love them, but when the season is over, you've got to let go because it's not about worshiping the tradition. It's about worshiping God. Jesus says, why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? We taught on this a few weeks ago. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. They're just going through the motions. Their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So none of that is worship. So here's the question. What does God really want? What does God really want from? Does God want me to sing and shout and dance and clap? No, no, don't misunderstand me. That's just a reflection of something much deeper in your heart. See, all of that, God doesn't want you to sing and dance and shout out of going through the motions because you have to do it. God simply wants you to respond to him the way you respond to other things. You're like, well, well, I'm just not an expressive person. Yeah, but I saw you during the Super Bowl and you seem to get pretty excited. See, why? Because when you love something, when you're passionate about something, you naturally express what you're passionate about. See, God's not trying to get you to go through the motions for the sake of going. Th- it's not raising my hands because I have to raise my hands. Raising my hands is simply, simply a reflection of something that is deep inside me. I'm excited about God. I'm worshiping God. He deserves all of me because I am so in love and passionate and on fire for him. Let me illustrate this like this. In Psalm chapter 50, we have a prophetic psalm. Prophetic meaning this is God using the author to communicate what God personally wants to say to us. So this is actually God's voice to us. He says, I've got no complaints about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings that you constantly offer. Well, that's good, God, because you're the one that told us to do it. God's saying, listen, I'm I'm not against all that. And in the Old Testament, God instituted this this animal sacrifice thing that they had to go through to to worship him and get forgiveness of sins. And God's saying, listen, I'm I'm not complaining that you're doing that stuff. But I do not need, this, this is so revealing about our attitude towards worship and God. God's saying, listen, I don't need the bulls from your barn. I don't need you to do this stuff for me. I don't need the goats. I don't need the animals. They're already mine. Like, it's all mine. Like, I don't need you to give me this stuff. It's all mine anyways. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and I know all the animals of the field. They're already mine. Like, like, I don't need your tithe. I'm not broke. it's it's, It's already mine. It's not about me needing it. It's about you figuring out where I rank in your life. Because I don't need it. If I were hungry, I'm not going to tell you. For all the world is mine. Everything in it. Do I eat the meat from the bulls that you offer me? Do I drink the blood of the goats? Am I paying rent with the tithe that you give me every week? I mean, this is what God is saying. Like, I don't need any of that stuff from you. Okay, so what does God need? There's one thing God needs from you that only you can give him. And he he created it in such a way where he can't take it from you. Because he created you with free will. The one thing that you can give God that he doesn't have is worship. It's your heart. It's your heart. Make thankfulness 
your sacrifice to God. Like, like it's all about your heart. It's all about this relationship. Keep the vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you're in trouble. Like, I want to be a part of every area of your life. And look what happens. And I will rescue you. So let me give you three things to make this message practical as, as we leave today. Three, three ways we can really worship God out of this, this place of heart. Not, not out of a have to but out of a want to because it's the overflow of the condition of our heart, our heart that is on fire and in love with God. First off, thank him with my sincere affection. I want to thank him with my sincere affection. I want it to come from my heart. I want, I want to thank him for everything in my life. Because some of you are thinking, well, you know, what are you trying to tell me today? That I can't have fun anymore? I can't go to the beach anymore? I can't play golf anymore? Like, I literally just need to read my Bible and pray and go to church, and that's all I can do with my free time. No, not at all. God simply just wants to be thanked in everything you do. Like, you'll actually enjoy surfing more when you just take a moment and say, God, thank you. Thank you that I can do this today. When you play golf, God, thank you. Thank you that I can be out here today, that I have the health to do it, that that I live in a beautiful place to do it. He just wants to be thanked in everything. Like when I go to dinner with my family, I don't need my seven-year-old son to pay for dinner. I just want him to say thank you when I pay for dinner. That's all God is saying. I don't need you to do it. I just want to be thanked in it. I, I just want to be recognized for it in, in everything. So, so let me say it like this. I'm not going to read this. I'm going to say it to you. God's looking right now. God's eyes are searching the audience right now. He's searching. And he's, he's not looking for people who are just going through the motions. He's looking for people whose heart, heart is fully committed to him so that he can strengthen and he can bless and he can do something powerful inside their life. Here's the second thing. Give him the control of my life. Give him the control of my life. Some of you today, you need to stop being casual with God. You need to stop dating God. It's time for you to get committed. It's time for you to take it to the next step. You've been dating God for long enough, and it's time that you go all in. It doesn't work any other way. 99% isn't good enough for God. It, It doesn't work for him. Some of you have been sitting in church for a while and you can't figure out why you're not seeing progress like other people, why you're not growing spiritually, why you're not, you're not, it's because he doesn't have a hundred percent. It only works at a hundred percent. You want to grow like other people. You want to see, see some of you have just, you just testing the water and you're just kind of wading in slowly and, and checking it out and you've been dating God for, for long enough. It's time to go all in. Paul says it like this. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies, give all of yourself, your time, your energy, your talent, your schedule, your money. Give it all to God because of what he has done for you. Let them, let your life, your body, who you are, what you offer God, let it be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This series is about how do we worship God? That's how you do it. So let me ask you a question. If, if you could sit face to face with God right now, like have a conversation with him right now, not just like in prayer, but like physically sit in heaven, you know, in a seat next to God, 
Would he find the way you're living to be a holy sacrifice? Would God right now find your life to be the kind of life that he would find acceptable? Because you're offering it to him, you're giving it to him, he has total control. Here's the third thing. Include him in my everyday life. My everyday life. Include him in my everyday life. That's what this verse was about we read at the beginning. You must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. He wants to be your Monday God. He wants to be your Tuesday God. He wants to be your Wednesday God. He doesn't want to just be your Sunday God. He wants to be a part of your everyday life. So what does God really, really want from me? He, he just wants me to express my affection to him, not because I have to, not because I'm going through the motions, because it's a real reflection of what's going on in my heart. He wants me to offer him every area of my life, give him total control, 100%, make him first. He wants me to include him in every single aspect of my life. All of that summed up, the whole message summed up in one statement is simply this. What God really wants is relationship with me. He's not looking for slaves. He's not looking for servants. Again, Psalm 50 made it clear. There's there's nothing you have that, that he needs apart from relationship. He wants your heart. He doesn't need the stuff you can do for him. The stuff you can do for him is simply a reflection of your heart. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for a very real relationship with you. So you've got to ask yourself today, where is God ranked in my life right now? Where, where is God on my list? Chances are, because you're here, God is on your list. Like I would say God is on everybody's list here because, because you're here today. The question is, where is God on your list? Because here, here's, the, here's the reality. Do you want to give your life to a God that would take second place in your life? Do you want to surrender your life to a God that accepts leftovers? Is that, is that the type of God that's really worthy of me giving it all to? God that'll take third place or fourth or second place? See, it only works when he's first place. That's the way this thing was designed all of our heart to him. See, salvation isn't just about being a good person. That's not what salvation is at all. Salvation is simply reordering your life to reflect God is number one. What is the order of your life? The order of your weekly schedule, your weekly calendar, your finances, your time, your passion, your energy. Does your life reflect that God is number one? And again, it's, it's not something we do because we have to do it. It reflects God is number one because it's our heart for him. Like, I want God to be number one in every area of my life because I love him. I'm in relationship with him, not because I have to do it, because I hope to go to heaven one day. I do it because I love him. And I think we, we've completely miscommunicated him to people in our culture. Like, like we, we, have, we have told people, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do you realize there's no scripture in the Bible that says you can accept Jesus as your Savior? Not one scripture in the Bible. It says, accept him as your Lord. And when you accept Jesus as your Lord, he becomes your savior. Do you understand the weight of what that means? You can't ask Jesus to save you if you're not putting him first. 
See, when you accept him as Lord, Lord means he's first. Lord means he's boss. Lord means he's ruler. He's controller. I accept Jesus as the Lord of my life. When he becomes Lord of my life, he becomes my savior. And it makes sense logically if you'll think about it. Like, how can he save my life from, like, the mess I'm in, from the the issues I'm in, if I'm not going to make him Lord? Like, if he's not first, how how am I going to get out of some of the junk I'm I'm living in? The brokenness, the pain, the the, the mess. How am I going to get out of my eternal condition if he's not first? It only works when he's first. So I think it's been clear enough today. I want to invite those of you that need to make him first today to make him first. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. You don't have to walk to the front. You don't have to stand up. You don't even need to take this first step out loud. You can pray this in your heart today because the true reflection of whether this is something you mean in your heart will become what you do next. But I want to give you that first step today, which is simply making a decision to put him first in your life, to make him first. So if you're here today and you'd say, you know what, God's not at the top of my list right now. Maybe you're in a situation where he's never been at the top of your list. This could be your first Christian experience and it's time to really surrender your life to God. Or maybe you're in a state where God was at the top of your list at one point, but he's since slipped down the list. And it's time for you to reorder, realign, and restructure some things. So I'm going to give you that opportunity with no one looked around. If you want to join me in a simple prayer, would you just slip up your hand and say, Look, I, it's, I need to do this today. Man, all over the room, I see hands going up. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate those hands. I appreciate those hands. All right, you can put them down. I want this to be a condition of our heart. Again, this is not something you have to do. This is something you get to do. This is something that, that the goal is for you to want to do it because of how good he is. So right now in your heart, say, Jesus, I invite you to take first place to be at the top of my list. Say that in your heart. Say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I've done things that have separated me from you. And I ask you to forgive me for those things right now. Will you forgive me? And then the last is, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. That's it. You can look up for a moment. Let me encourage you with with, with one more thing that you can do on your own. On the connection card that was in your worship guide, there's two boxes. One says I'm committing my life to Christ. One says I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If if your prayer reflected either one of those, we'd love to know about it so that we can begin to pray for this journey that you're on. You just began one of the greatest journeys of realigning your life to reflect God's number one. It's the most powerful thing you'll ever do. And we want to pray God's blessing over that journey. So would you check the box that applies to you? Drop it off. It, it will also send you some information on some great next steps that you can take in beginning this journey. We just want to support you and resource you in this journey. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, today we want to worship you. We want you to be first. We want our lives to be a reflection that you're number one. Every area of our life, our time, our schedule, our family, our priorities, our hobbies, our passion, our money. We want our entire life to be a reflection that you're number one. And God, the truth is when you're number one, we're going to enjoy all the other stuff so much more. We'll enjoy our family so much more. We'll enjoy our hobbies so much more. We'll have a better time surfing and playing golf when you're number one. It's just the reality. Because you know who you are, God, and you know what you have to offer us. And you know that if we'll simply make you number one, our life 
is going to be so much more incredible. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for showing the way. Thank you for paying the price so that we could have a relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.